One of the things that has the power to transform your life is a clear sense of purpose in your life. Let me say that again because it's so, so important. One of the things that has the power to absolutely transform your entire life is when you have a clear sense of true purpose in your life. Some of you have maybe heard the name Nick Vujicic. If that name doesn't ring a bell, maybe some others of you will recognize him by looking at a picture. Here's Nick on the screen. Nick is a a man who was born with no arms and no legs, and I don't need to tell you the obvious, which is this has had a major impact on his entire life. I was thinking about it for a moment, how many things I would have to change the way I do if I had no arms or legs, and it's pretty much everything, right? And heavier even than the physical toll that this would play on a person, and thinking specifically of Nick, the emotional and spiritual, the mental toll that living like this and having a body like this, or maybe the things that it's without, of course, that mental toll would be even heavier. Part of Nick's story, if you were to read it, is that when he was born without arms and legs and was shown to his mom and dad, they were devastated and shocked. And in fact, he talks about how his mom, who now is a very loving mom, in the moment, at that time, it took her four months before she actually held her child. And then he grew up and went to school. And maybe you've learned, kids, eh, they're not always so nice. And they weren't nice to him. And Nick remembers that Already back about the age of eight, he began wondering about his existence and whether he should be here or whether he had any importance at all. And then at the age of 10, he actually tried to take his life. Nick is now 38 years old. And some of you know this, you can Google it. He's a speaker, an author, a life coach, He's a husband, and he's a father of four. For 20 years or so, he's been traveling the country, giving messages of hope and strength and encouragement. So what changed? Well, let me share with you using Nick's own words in a book that, from a book that he wrote called Life Without Limits. He writes, in life, if you don't know the truth, then you can't be free because then you'll believe that the lies are the truth. But once we realize that when we read the word of God and you know the truth of who you are, then I'm not a man without arms and legs. By Christ and in Christ, I am a child of God. And he continues, Often people ask how I manage to be happy despite having no arms and no legs. 
The quick answer is that I have a choice. I can be angry about not having limbs, or I can be thankful that I have a purpose. And that's coming from a man who has no arms or legs. What did I say at the beginning of the message today? One of the things that has the power to transform your life is a clear sense of purpose in your life. And that's why I personally get excited about weekends like this one. That's why when, when I get to preach on the topic of purpose and why we're here and why we're on the planet, that there's just a little more adrenaline flowing in me than usual. Because when we recognize, when we understand why we're here, we're just not sort of living out, you know, 80 years or 50 years or just getting through that we have amazing purpose. It changes everything. No matter how long we live or what season of life that we're in, purpose, a clear sense of purpose can absolutely transform your life. So what is it? Well, our first fill-in for today points us to the right direction. You see, your greatest purpose in life comes from the one who gave you life. If you're not an accident or just a result of biology, if you're someone, and we all are, who has been created by a God, that there is a creator, then he's the one who gives us and directs us to our purpose. And make no mistake, there's, there's lots of purposes that a person has in life. I mean, you, you have a purpose as a student, and you have a purpose as a husband or a father, as a wife or a mother, a grandfather, a grandmother. You have purpose as a boss or an employee. There's lots of different purposes, but no matter what title you have, or where you work, or what you do, there is a purpose that permeates and infiltrates all of them. And that's what I wanna to talk to you about today. That overriding purpose that God has given to every single one of us, it's the reason why, if you're a Christian, it's the reason why when you came to faith, God didn't say, oh, they're now ready for heaven. I'm taking them right away. It's the reason why he left you here. Not just to wait, but to do something and to be about something, to be on a mission. Now, to point you to exactly what that is, there is this beautiful illustration in Jesus' life of someone showing us exactly what our mission is, even though in the moment they probably didn't know it. But before we get to that, just a little bit of background. <clears throat> so for the first 30 years of Jesus' life, he was relatively unknown by the people around him. In fact, if you read through the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus, there's very, very little that we have about him for the first 30 years. But then at the age of 30, he burst onto the scene. Part of it was John the Baptist kind of declaring, this is the Lamb of God. I think a big event that really got him on the radar was his turning 
water into wine at the wedding of Cana. And then all of a sudden, he's got an audience. He's becoming a little bit of, well, a famous guy in the area of Galilee. Everyone's inviting them, hoping he comes to their weddings at that point, because he gives free wine, right? Nah, what they really enjoyed was his preaching. We read over and over again that he went to towns and he preached and he preached and he preached this message of a loving God and of the gospel. And he also did miracles. They, they, they knew that too. And so with that sort of newfound fame of Jesus in the area around the Sea of Galilee, that's the context with which we now see here this event at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. It's recorded for us by Mark in his biography of Jesus. Chapter two says this, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come and they had gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left not even outside the door of the house where he was preaching. And he preached the word to them. Now, some of you know where Jesus was born, Bethlehem. Some of you know where Jesus was considered to be from, Nazareth. I think far fewer of us recognize that after Jesus started his ministry, that Capernaum, kind of became home base for him. People actually speculate that Mary, his mother, might have moved from Nazareth to Capernaum. This was kind of a a hometown for Jesus. And as we read, there were crowds and crowds of people flocking to listen to Jesus preach. Verse three. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man He was carried by four of these men. Now, we don't know much at all about the background of this paralyzed man. Had he been paralyzed from birth? Did he experience some sort of accident in his life? And we also don't know much about the four guys that were carrying him. But I think there are two things we can be very certain about. The first is this, that they loved their friend. Have you ever had to walk with somebody or walk alongside someone who is going through something? Maybe it was a physical disability. Maybe it was a mental or emotional toll. Maybe it was a depression. Maybe they were in hospice. As friends or as loved ones, your heart just goes out to them. And sometimes you even wish you could take their place and be there instead of them. And you'll do whatever you can to help them. I have to imagine that that was the mindset of these four guys as they carry a grown man around on a mat to the town of Capernaum. And then the other thing that we can be pretty certain about with these men is that they believed that Jesus could help. They had heard about the miracles and they wanted to see if Jesus could help their friend. I'm gonna say it this way. They believed that if they could get their friend in front of Jesus, something good would happen. They were hoping it would be a miracle. They were hoping that their friend would be able to walk, but they believed that if they would get their friend in front of Jesus, something good will happen. And when they got to the house, they found that a lot of other people were there as well. 
Not only was the inside of the house packed with people, but there was um, a line, a group of people outside all around that house, listening through windows, maybe listening through the door, the open door. There was no way that these men were able to get their friend to Jesus using the front door. And at that moment, if these four men who carried their friend for miles on a mat decided, you know what? Maybe we need to come back another time Jesus is in town. We would have understood. If they would have said, you know what? Maybe we just put him on the North Cross prayer page and just have people continue to pray for him. But this crowd, it's too big. Trying to get to Jesus, it's too difficult. We would have understood And yet, Mark would not have written about them because that's not what they did. They did not turn around. You see, some men would have given up. The crowd's too big, the house is too full. Some men would have given up, but these men, there's no way. There was no way they were gonna give up when it comes to getting their friend in front of Jesus. You can almost imagine them saying something like this. We didn't come this far and carry our heavy friend this long just to give up and turn around at the first sign of difficulty. And you know what? You know what my problem is? My problem is that I don't always act like these men. I want people to know Jesus. I'm a pastor for goodness sake. But it's, it's amazing how bold and talkative I am when I have a microphone on my head and people have come, I know, to listen to the word. But if I could give you a little glimpse into my personal life, I'm not always that bold. When I'm with acquaintances watching a ball game, or when I'm with neighborhood friends. It's amazing how it takes much less than a large crowd of people to sort of get me to be timid. And I give up in sharing the message. I give up in praying for those people. I give up far, far too quickly. And you know what? Some of you, maybe most of you, I don't know, you have the same problem. You see, we think, we think that God has called us to be comfortable. And so, if someone asks me about Jesus, if someone asks me about where I go to church, if someone inquires of me and I feel like I'm comfortable and they're not gonna judge me too much, then, then I'll speak, right? But... But at the first sign of difficulty, whether it's a crowd or a funny face or maybe just not sure how they might respond to me, how quickly, how quickly we give up, we turn around, we take that proverbial friend on the mat and we go back home and let's just keep praying instead of doing the hard work of getting them to Jesus. And I'm right there with you. 
And I have my moments that I do well, and we all have our moments of missed opportunities. Well, you can just imagine these four guys talking. Not five guys, but four guys. And maybe one guy's like, oh, did anyone try the back door? No, people there too. What if we, just like a huge mosh pit, we just take a uh, running start and just kind of batter ram through, batter, do a battery ram, that's what I'm trying to say, through the people and maybe we can get, no, let's, let's not do that, that's not good. I saw some, some older people in the crowd, I don't wanna hurt anybody, all right? And then some guys like, the roof. And I can just imagine one of the guys saying, you're crazy. Yep. Here's what happens next. Since they couldn't get to him or him to Jesus because of the crowd, they went up to the roof. They made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Now, homes at this time were all built pretty much the same. Roofs were generally flat, there often were actually stairs built so that you could go up there and you could, could use that area for other things. Maybe it was a ladder, probably stairs. There was large wooden beams to help support the roof. And then most of the roof was made, obviously not out of shingles like we know today, but instead uh, this mixture of, of mud and twigs. And actually, as Luke writes about this event, he talks about clay tiles that they removed. Now, it's one thing to punch a hole through the roof. It's another thing to create a hole so large that you can lower a man down into it. And I was thinking of things through the perspective of Jesus and the people in the room as tiles and, and dirt and twigs just kind of start falling on them. Have you ever been distracted during a sermon? The correct answer is... No, never. You are so engaging. I've never been distracted. It's hard to listen when you're distracted, right? Whether it's a cell phone or I think of uh, a time back at the old building where someone's uh, car alarm was going off. And as a pastor, what you do when there's an obvious distraction, as long as no one's hurt or they're not needing medical attention, is you, you try to keep going. And that's what I did and a minute or two literally later, it's still beeping and no one is listening. They're all looking around. And so I just, I just stopped right there. We all took out our keys and tr figured out what the heck was going on out there and get it to stop. Have you ever been distracted in a message? These people would have been distracted. We've never had to deal with someone propelling through the roof during a message. And yet Jesus didn't mind because it was a perfect illustration, a perfect opportunity for Jesus. And, and here's what I came to as I was studying this week. And I know the men, the four men, they did not think this while they were doing it. But as I thought about our mission, as I thought about our purpose as people and as a church, I could not think of in scripture any better illustration than literally four men who are on fire about getting a person in front of Jesus. And as they lower that man down in front of Jesus, I thought that that's my purpose in life. 
that is our purpose in life. I'm gonna say it this way. We are here to do whatever it takes to get people in front of Jesus. That's why you still have breath. And in some seasons, that's your little children or your adult children that you are doing whatever it takes to get in front of Jesus. But never once in scripture does God, does Jesus direct us that it ends with the people who are related to you. Instead, we are to go and make disciples of all nations. And you've heard this before. I'm gonna say it so many times over the course of my ministry here that you're not gonna be able to forget it. But our mission as a church, number two fill-in is, is this. We're here to lead people to Jesus. And it might mean sometimes that you have to get out of your comfort zone a little bit. It might mean that sometimes you have to go up on a roof and remove some tiles so that the person that doesn't know Jesus gets to have an audience with him. Sometimes it means rearranging our schedules. Sometimes it means having a difficult conversation that we'd rather not have. But this is why we're here as a church, as people, to take the message that has changed our lives and to be able to, with the Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit, to change other people's lives with it. There's nothing better. There's nothing longer lasting. What happens next? Verse five. When Jesus saw their faith. Now, we're not exactly sure exactly what this is referring to in the sense that was it just that he saw the outward action, the outward fruits of their faith, or did Jesus use his God power? And this is, I think, more likely it's a combination of the two where he knew that this was more than just two men thinking that Jesus is some you know, amazing healer, but that they actually believed in their hearts as Jesus could see it, that these men believed that Jesus was more than just a healer, that he was the promised Messiah, even if in the moment they may not have understood everything about what that meant. When Jesus saw their faith, what did he do? He said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. And maybe, maybe they're thinking as they're looking down, peering through the hole, and as the man is lying on the mat next to Jesus, that's not why we broke through the roof. <laughs> we broke through the roof and lowered this man down so that you would help him walk again. Not so that you'd tell him that his sins were forgiven. And yet Jesus knew he knew that for this man, he knew that for those four men, he knew that for us, that way more important than healthy legs is what you need is a healthy heart. And, and again, I was trying to put my place, myself in the place of the paralyzed man, and you have to think about cultural context. And back then, when, when people had a, a disease like leprosy, when they were going through something major like paralysis, that 
the social norm was for everyone to think there was something big that person did, something really wrong with that person, morally or spiritually, that God would allow them, him to have this thing. That if you suffered a lot, it must be that you sin a lot. Can you imagine the guilt of that? And wondering if you believed it, how God must think of you and feel about you because I'm going through this difficulty all of my life. And so for Jesus to say first, your sins are forgiven. What he's giving that man is what he needed the most. He's kind of saying this. He's saying, all's okay with you and God. He loves you. He knows you. You are his child. And what what Jesus is modeling, what Jesus is teaching us is our third fill-in for today, that forgiveness is the greatest gift because it meets our greatest need. And I know in the moment when you're paralyzed on a mat, you don't feel like this is true. You feel that my greatest need right now is that I would like to walk. When you have ALS or when you have cancer or when you have COVID or when you have big, big relational issues, when you're feeling all alone, when you're depressed, when you're going through this anxious and anxious season of life, in those moments, you feel like those are your biggest needs, your biggest problems, but let me tell you, They are not. Because all those things, they someday will get better because God took care of our greatest need, which was our sin. And they may not get better this side of heaven, but I guarantee you, you are going to be just fine for eternity. And so still today, because of what Jesus did on the cross, because of his death in our place, because of the blood applied, God is telling us today the same message. All is okay with you and God. He loves you. He knows you. You are his child. Well, here's how it ends. Some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? (laughs) Kind of humorous when you think about who's uh, telling that the sins are forgiven. Yeah, they're onto something. That's true. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. This is partly why I think that's part of the, the thing of knowing the four men and their faith is that God is able to see, Jesus is able to see in our spirits. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Next verse. Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk? And the immediate answer might be, It's easier to say your sins are forgiven, not because it's easier to forgive sin, but because you can't really tell 
Whereas if someone's paralyzed and then they walk, everyone's going to be able to see that. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Verse 12. And so he got up, he took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone. And they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. And I can only imagine that that roof was very possibly about to cave in as his four buddies are jumping around and celebrating and high-fiving and chest bumping. And the friend healed, not just of his paralysis, but of his sin. Do you know what they did? They brought a person in front of Jesus because they knew something good would happen. Do you know why we're here? To do the same. To simply lead people to Jesus. And then Jesus does what he does. And I want you to know that no matter what your title is, what your job is, where you go to school, how old you are, even for some of us listening online who might be of the age where we can't get out of the house very well, that is still your purpose every moment of every day. And there are opportunities. And if you can't get out of the house, then you can pray and you can call and you can Zoom call. We all have opportunities everywhere. But as we close the message today, I wanna take a little bit of a detour here and, and talk specifically about this in the context of North Cross Church. We have so much to be thankful for at this church. Here's specifically what I'm thinking. Last year was kind of disruptive for us, wasn't it? Just a little bit. But as I was able to look at what God has done over the last year and a couple months, the number of people that we get to influence and to bring in front of Jesus has grown in a year of a pandemic by 20%. I would have never, ever thought that last March, that this is what would happen and along with, of course, mostly the God's power and the Holy Spirit, I also want to thank you. I wanna thank you for your partnership in this ministry. And whether that be the prayers that you've given, the offerings that you so generously continue to give so that we're able to get this message out, and the time that you volunteered this past year in some of the normal ways and some new ways, we have a group of people at this church that when they've heard Jesus calling to get people in front of Jesus, to lead people to Jesus, they've said, I'm in. I wanna be a part of that. I want to bring people to Jesus through the church that I love. 
You know that this fall, we're expecting to be one of the, the biggest church seasons in North Cross history for a lot of different reasons that I won't go all into right now, but it's gonna be a big season. And as a church grows, I think one of the things that the, the people who attend can begin to think is, you know what, there's more people, so I'm not needed as much. Do you know it's exactly the opposite of that? That there's more people to serve with the gospel and so we actually need more people. So if you think, ah, they got it. No, we don't. There are amazing opportunities for you. In fact, I did a little bit of math. When it comes to what we do on Sunday morning and also in our middle school ministry on Wednesday night, starting in September, in, over the course of a month, we need 220 people to say, I'm in. Now, that's a lot of people. Here's the cool thing. Right now, as we speak, we already have 118. Many of you are, are sitting and listening in the room. Some of you are, are watching online. And again, thank you for being in. But what this means is by September, we need to have trained and gotten ready 102 more volunteers, people who are saying, you know what? I get it. My life purpose is to lead people to Jesus. And one of, not the only way, one of the ways that I feel compelled in my season of life to do that is by saying I'm in to a volunteer team. If you could right now, if you're in the room, um, on the rows, you'll find a white sheet of cardstock, and, and on there are a bunch of different opportunities. I'd love for everyone to have that in their hand or to grab another one down the row because in a few minutes, I'm gonna have you look at it again. If you're online, you can click on a, a link in the description of the video or go to the impact tab of our website and you'll find the same form there. What I'd like you to do is to consider where might you be able to serve over the course of the next year? And if, if you're not sure, if it's like flip a coin, I, I just wanna help where I'm needed. The two areas that I would point you to mostly would be North Cross Kids and then our broadcast team, which is labeled on there as a comp camera operator. Those are the two areas where we have the most need going in to September, but there are areas in all of them. Now, as I was thinking about those four men and the mat that they were carrying, I found something at home that's kind of like a mat. And uh, how many corners are on a mat? Four, usually, right? Usually. How many men were carrying the mat? I don't think that was coincidence. Because if there was only three or two with four corners, it'd either be too heavy or there wouldn't be enough to get every corner. And as I, I thought about that, the mat we're asked to carry come September 
Guess how many corners it has? 220. 220 corners that need to be carried, not 220 super people who can do everything and are Billy Graham and evangelist. No, maybe you have those gifts, but just 220 people who are willing to just carry a corner of a mat to bring people to Jesus. And that's my question for you. Will you carry a corner? Will you consider to give a little bit of time to carry a corner over this next year? Now, before I'm done, wanted to share with you a couple who has said, I'm in to doing just that. And they're gonna share a little bit about their story. I'm Pauline. <laughs> I'm Pauline Alba, and we joined about eight years ago. I'm Andrew Alba. Yes, it was about eight years ago. Uh, so right now I'm uh, the co-lead uh, for the broadcast team. I am pro presenter, um, lighting lead. There was some plea at church, kind of a, a volunteer opportunity, and I thought that I could highly encourage my son to become more of a volunteer, and so I said, sign us up, both of us as one person, and um, once I got started, he didn't connect as much, and I loved it. I, I loved coming, and it was fairly soon after we joined. Yeah, I would say within a year. A year or two. Somewhere in there? I, I think, you know, the initial draw was just to kind of do something to serve the church. Um, but I think the thing that kept pulling, at least me back, I think you as well, is the the relationships of the people you meet while you're doing your job, whether it's other volunteers or if it's other people that just appreciate what you're doing as a volunteer. So it, it kind of builds. So now... I get to be friends with some great musicians and I get to be friends with some other you know, people that know how to use cameras really well um, or do other production work. So it's, it's really nice that you know, it just kind of snowballs and you've got these other people that both are, you know, their life is centered around Christ and you get to enjoy this, this fellowship together here, you know, in church and outside of church. I would say, kind of say, say the same thing was it was a way for us to um, being new in the community, in, in the whole Twin Cities community, finding that church. And from the moment we walked in, we were welcome. We were, we were engaged. And um, I think we wanted more of that. We wanted that more of that feeling. It was a little, a little personal, like, you know, it was a connection we were really looking for. And then as as I started volunteering, it was very much like Andy says, is the people we started meeting. And in a little selfish note, you know, when I do the sermons and I, I get to see what he's going to say and I get to um, participate in that way, that I can just see how wonderful it is. And I just, I love every moment of it. Completely outside my skill set. Yep. Um, I knew she was going to say that. First time, uh, I remember just almost shaking 
you know, trying to make sure that I followed along and, and progressed the service as needed. And um, now I feel very confident. I think a lot of support by the team, a lot of support um, learning how to do it, and it's something that I absolutely love doing. I think it, it was just such a blessing to come in every week and be a part of you know this great service and to watch it grow and everybody else you know on the team you, we've got to see musicians grow as people mm -hmm. um, we so we get to see this every week and it, it just feels like such a great blessing to us to, to watch this happen um, um, it's not just necessarily the church, but the people within the church, seeing them grow, it's, it's very nice. Being able to come in, um, having the, the special productions that we've done, I've really, really enjoyed being part of that group and um, being engaged in that way and, and being able to deliver something that, that is so focused on Jesus and so focused on um, what our church wants to put out. Yeah, I, I think that's what I was going to point out too was the the special like the Christmas and Easter service that we did. So there there was a part that was maybe a little prideful in the original. <laughs> originally, you know, you you want to look back on that video and and see what a great job you did. But um, when we watch the videos, we get you know, it's not it's not even a second thought about what I did is the overall message that we have and it's I mean it's so well done I mean a lot of times we don't have a lot of volunteers at these events we have as many as we can but what we pull off you would think that it was a team of a hundred as far as I'm concerned it, it's always a really good job what are you waiting for yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's it's a blessing it's it's um, absolutely the impact that the church can make on you is is so big.